Speak to our hearts, O God, to the hearts of our graduates and to all of us. In the midst midst of the sense of warmth and family that we feel in this place, that we may know that you, through Jesus Christ, make us family, sisters and brothers to one another, and to all who call upon your name. And so we pray that you would strengthen our family and strengthen us all as we seek to do your your work in the world and to be your people. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So uh, when I was five years old, my parents, actually my mother, took me to swimming lessons at... uh, North Carolina State University, Olympic-sized pool. We lived in Raleigh at the time. Do you remember how old you were when you had swimming lessons or first went? Kind of about five? Okay. Maybe, maybe a little younger. Moms and dads. Um, I didn't want to get in. Uh, water looked deep. Pool was big. And so when you're five years old and your mom wants you to do something that you don't want to do, what do you do? Throw a tantrum. Thank you. That was Tucker Bird who said that. <laughs> so you throw a tantrum, and so that's what I did. I threw a temper tantrum. Um, in order to have, did you know that in order to have an Olympic-sized swimming pool, you have to have a big cavernous building to house it in? And did you know that when someone shrieks, when a five-year-old shrieks in the building of that size, everyone can hear it? And so I'm doing this. At this point, my mom's uh, hiding underneath the bleachers. And the swim instructor, she knows exactly what to do. She gets out of the pool. She was probably a swimmer for NC State. Uh, She gets out of the pool, and she lovingly picks me up and lovingly throws me into the water. She may or may not should have done that. I don't know, but that's what she did. And believe it or not, when I was in her arms, I calmed down just a little bit. And then when I got into the water and realized that it wasn't so bad after all, I relaxed. And when I relaxed, I discovered that I could float. That the water would hold me up. And so what we've been trying to do for 18 years or so is to help you see that the grace of God will hold you up. Always. Wherever you are, whatever you do, whatever you face, the grace of God will hold you up. And not only that, but God's grace will comfort us when we're hurting, strengthen us when we're afraid, encourage us when we're disappointed and God's grace will give us hope and purpose and energy to live the lives that God calls us to live. Now, the moment we trust Jesus by faith and embrace Him and begin to follow Him and enter into those waters of baptism, dripping wet when we walk out, In that moment we receive, in those moments we receive the saving grace of God. 
the amazing grace that gifts us with salvation and forgiveness and redemption. But then, every moment of our lives from that time on, we are invited to receive anew each day God's sustaining grace. To use the analogy of the first story, we are invited to swim in that grace, to allow that grace of God to hold us up. Now, in one sense, we have thrown you into the pool. Because I don't think your parents along the way asked you whether or not you wanted to go to church. You came because that's what we were doing. And yet we did so lovingly. And we pray that as you have experienced the grace of God in your time at Fifth Avenue, that you will move forward from this place, swimming, floating in, immersed in, living in, the grace and the love that God has for you and for all of us. Let's look at the passage that Maddie read a moment ago. We're just going to look at the first two verses that are printed on your uh, front of your bulletin. Uh, the, the verses after that that Maddie read are all about giving our money, so we're going to talk about that next week. Expect everybody to be here. Everybody. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Here's what's going on. As we saw last week, it was the end of Peter's long sermon on the day of Pentecost. People respond, they're cut to the heart, and they ask, what do we do in response to this truth that's been told to us about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? And, and Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the Holy Spirit. And so on that day, verse 41, 3,000 people are baptized. Very next verse, verse 42, they're still dripping wet. Hair hasn't dried yet in the Jerusalem sun. And they're immersed again in a way of life that will help them to live out of the grace that they have just received through their faith and baptism. The first part of the verse says they devoted themselves to these teachings, apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and the prayers. Devoted. They were intentional about it. They were committed to it. They took a step. They made a commitment. They said this is serious we're going to do this with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. When they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers, they were in effect saying, Jesus, we're ready to receive the grace that you have for us this day so that we can be faithful followers of Jesus. And so we are invited to engage in these practices whether we're 8 or 18 or 88, wherever we are, whatever stage of life, we are invited to engage in these four practices and many more of our faith. And to do so not to earn anything from God, not to prove ourselves from God, not to, to say that these are accomplishments that, that we have done. But because in doing these practices, we are in effect saying to Jesus, we're ready and eager for you to give us the grace that we need to live our lives for you in this day. They were devoted to these things. Let's look at the four practices one by one. Apostles teaching. Uh, the 11 apostles plus, plus the one that was added. The 12 uh, were close to Jesus. They lived with Jesus. He taught them. They saw him teach and do incredible things. 
They're teaching the people all that they have seen and heard Jesus do up to this point, the apostles' teaching. We have the apostles' teaching. We devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching when we read the Scriptures. When we read them each day on our own, when we read them together in our small groups and Sunday school classes, when we gather around a particular passage of Scripture on Sunday morning and worship together. We devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching because we know that in the reading and discussing and learning and living of Scripture, we experience the grace of God. And we allow ourselves, we put ourselves in a position to receive anew the grace we need to live faithful lives. One invitation to you graduates and to the rest of us, one way to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to devote ourselves to Scripture, is to read one psalm a day. There are 150 of them, some are long, some are short, most of them are in between. What would that look like? For you, for us, to read one psalm a day. I think what it would look like would be a people who are being filled with the grace of God as we devote ourselves to what God says to us in the Word, in the Scriptures. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Next, they devoted themselves to fellowship. Fellowship with one another. We experience a rich fellowship in this place. You all have spoken of fellowship in one way or another in the the comments that you've made and that I read before. There is a sense of family that we experience. Fellowship is a very biblical thing. Uh, This Wednesday night, we will be doing something very biblical. It may not seem like it. It's called a talent show. It may not feel very scriptural. It may not seem like there's much talent on display. Or maybe there will. But it will be a fellowship experience in which we experience the grace of God. A couple weeks ago, we uh, worked on the playground on Wednesday night uh, for our our children. Uh, We did a lot of work. I did a lot of supervising. Um, And there was incredible fellowship that took place when we were together. That was a spiritual practice. It's something in which the Spirit of God is at work making us stronger, furthering the kingdom of God. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. That has in mind the Lord's Supper, but also the normal, everyday, casual meals that we share together. Because there is something about a meal that enables us to experience the presence and the grace of Jesus. In this day and age, we eat very quickly. We eat very much in a rush. One of the most countercultural and incredible spiritual practices that we could engage in would be to slow down when we eat and to be present with the people we are eating with and to recognize that in that meal, Jesus is present. To say a blessing, by the way, when you say a blessing to the meal, it it doesn't change the content of the food, right? It, It doesn't increase the nutritional value. But saying the blessing at the meal does give us pause to thank God for all good gifts and to prepare us to receive Jesus 
and his presence as we eat together. Now, graduates, you're going to eat like a thousand pounds of pizza over the next several years. You've already eaten probably a couple thousand. Make sure you don't always eat it alone. But enjoy those times with friends and family and those that you meet. There's something amazing, absolutely amazing, that I've discovered about Fifth Avenue Baptist Church. No one on Wednesday nights, no one, absolutely no one sits in the same place on Wednesday night every week. No one does. And no one in our congregation sits and eats with the same people every Wednesday night. But everybody moves around from place to place and gets to know others on Wednesday. Oh, wait a second. I'm articulating a dream, not current reality. It is possible you won't get hurt. You might get blessed if we move around from spot to spot and intentionally get to know one another as we share our meals together. We've got one more chance before the summer. Uh, Let's take advantage of it Wednesday night. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And they devoted themselves to the prayers. The translation that's in our Pew Bible and that Maddie read uh, speaks of devoting themselves to prayer, which is a good thing. Another translation, the one that's on your cover verse, says they devoted themselves to the prayers, Both are legitimate, both are accurate. We are called to devote our lives to praying, to prayer. But in this particular context, the early disciples were devoting themselves to the prayers offered on a daily and regular basis at the Jerusalem temple. They're still in Jerusalem at this point. So there's a structured nature to the prayers that they are praying. And so we too are called to devote ourselves to prayer wherever we are and to devote ourselves to structured prayer. We do that by praying together each Sunday morning, being led in prayer as we were by Catherine and Ryan and Alicia, and praying in particular each week the Lord's Prayer. Graduates, another challenge to live out this passage to be devoted to the prayers is to take your normal morning routine and your normal evening routine and add one thing to it. In all the things that you do to get ready for the day in the morning, add to it the praying of the Lord's Prayer. And in all the things that you do before you go to bed, add to that the praying of the Lord's Prayer. And when we do that together, when we do that as a congregation, we find ourselves in the grace of God, held up by the grace of God, eager and ready and willing to receive God's grace each day. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And then verse 43, all came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. Now, the apostles in this context are doing the miraculous things that Jesus did. They are healing people. They are doing amazing feats of miraculous power. Those are the signs and wonders referred to here in this verse. And occasionally God does wonderful, miraculous acts of healing and other miracles through us. But that's not the ordinary thing for us. But I believe God still does signs and wonders in and through our congregation. When we as a people devote ourselves to Scripture and to worship, devote ourselves to fellowship, 
devote ourselves to the breaking of bread together, devote ourselves to prayer and the prayers, we, we become people who are signs and wonders of the grace of God. And people around us are blessed and God's work is done and God's kingdom is furthered. Our blessing for you is not just for your well-being and your success in the years to come. Our blessing for you is that you will become like Jesus in the unique way that God wants to make you like Jesus. And that the world will see Jesus in you and that God's purposes will be furthered through each of you. Some thieves stole a car. It was an ordinary thing for them. They were in the pattern of doing so. They were uh, thieves. So they were used to taking something from someone else and then selling it and getting the money. And so they stole a particular car. And it wasn't until later on, as they were going through the belongings in that car, that they discovered that the owner of the car was a man named Fred Rogers. You know, the guy who sang to generations of children on TV, It's a beautiful day. Sing it with me if you know it. In the neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. Won't you be mine? Won't you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Did you all grow up with that? They're lost. They don't know this one. He was really good. Check him out. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Perfect stuff. Somebody stole Mr. Rogers' car. Can you believe that? The next night they took it back to where they found it and left it with a note that said, we're sorry that we took your car. We didn't know it was you, Mr. Rogers. Even thieves knew of the goodness in this person. Knew that God was doing something wonderful through his life. And of course, you know, he was a follower of Jesus and a minister in addition to his ministry with children. God is at work through us, shaping us and molding us into a people who reflect the love of Jesus into the world. God wants to take every one of us and not make us into Mr. Rogers, but I like what Michael said in his comments, make us into the best version of you. God wants to make you into the best version of you. And that's not just about being successful in what you do, although that's important. It's about reflecting the love of Jesus. It's about becoming like Jesus. So that his life is lived through our lives. And God's work is furthered through our work. But we have a role to play. God doesn't instantly zap us into straight-A students. You have to study. God doesn't instantly make us into the workers that we're called to be in whatever vocation we end up in. We have to work at it. And God doesn't snap a finger and make us 
into the image of Jesus that we're uniquely called to be. We have to say, Lord, do your work in me. I'm eager and ready to receive your grace this day for whatever you have for me. And the way we put ourselves in that place of receiving grace is to believe in Jesus and to follow him. And it is to be devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And when that happens in graduates, when that happens in a church, the grace of God begins to spread all around us. Would you pray with me, please? Oh Lord, we are so grateful for the grace that holds us up, the grace that forgives our sins, the grace that gives us strength and hope and courage. We pray for each of these graduates that as they have experienced your grace among us in this place and in this family, that you would always remind them of the reality of your grace Help them to be open and receptive to your grace every day of their lives. And may you mold and shape them and us into a people through whom your grace is known and experienced and shared. We ask these things in Jesus' name.